This week we're talking about silence. And Bobby actually, like when we were going through, I said, you know, who do you who do you think we should have as guests on all these different episodes? And he was like, Jackie, silence, like was straight off off the hip. Why do you think he tossed your name out so readily for this one? Because he thinks women should be submissive and silent. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Tony Vicenda. I live in Philly where I work as a missionary, speaker, and I run a small company called Catholic Bomb. My name is Bobby Angel. I'm a teacher and campus minister in California with my wife and crazy children. And even though we do all those things, again, first and foremost, we are sons, husbands, fathers, and brothers. So one of the things Tony and I have been talking about over the last year is how to help men live lives of virtue, follow God's will, and find a brotherhood together. So this year on this podcast, Bearded Virtue, we're building this conversation based around Bobby's amazing new book, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, and then following it up with monthly conversations about how we can live virtuous lives. I'm excited to break down the book with you all and get some other special guests on to talk about the process and how you can make a decision with God and and get living. So let's get into it. Bobby, how are you doing this week? Dude, I'm tired. Is it uh, is it Thanksgiving yet? <laughs> you're tired. It's not even the morning. Like it's normally you normally do this in the morning, six thirty a.m. your time. It is uh, it's eight thirty p.m. Uh, on the West Coast. I should be tired. You should just be getting geared up for the night. You should be. You are the trooper tonight, pushing <laughs> pushing midnight, pushing so midnight, we, so we get this thing done. <laughs> what time do you usually go to bed? Oh, that's a fun question. I mean, plus or minus midnight. Usually, honestly, like between eleven and midnight nowadays. Yeah. Daylight, daylight, daylight savings has me all over the place, though. So one day we'll vanquish the evil demon that is daylight savings. This is exactly why people tune into Bearded Virtue week in, week out, is to just hear us talk about antiquated methods of uh, making sure that the the timing for for farmers to wake up in the morning stays on track. <laughs> stay, stay tuned because we'll eventually find a solution. Well, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna solve we're gonna crack this before the end by um, season seven. So, um, so we do have a, a special guest with us this week. This is um, our our first guest, um, not to record with, but uh, for our listeners to get introduced to. Why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest this week? Right. So this week on the Bearded Virtue podcast, she has neither a beard um, nor is she a man, but she's breaking the the podcast ceiling here. It is Jackie Francois Angel. I am biased. She's my wife. Um, <laughs> So you like her. I like her. I like her a lot. I love her and I like her. So she was born in Southern California. She's we had a conversion very much around the same time through youth ministry programs, age 18. She gave her life to Christ, was involved in youth ministry ever since she got out of it too, and has been traveling on the road as a musician, worship leader, speaker. And uh, I want to welcome my wife to the Bearded Virtue podcast. <laughs> hello, hello. And I thought you were going to say she has neither a beard nor virtue. <laughs> oh, it's 100% where I thought he was going. And I was like, no, man, he's, he's never going to come in from the garage tonight. He's I was like, you will feel there. the pain later, my friend. <laughs> see, see what I did there? Uh, so, Jackie, uh, give us some of the highlights. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, about you know your your luxurious beard, and just kind of who you are. Oh, the highlight reel. Well, someone did a thing called like, that, you know, saying like, this is the last, you have one more month left of this decade. And when I think of this decade, I'm like, man, it's been a good one. Got married to the love of my life. 
and had three children. Yeah, it's just been wonderful. God has taken me on a great adventure. I knew ever since my conversion in youth ministry that I wanted to do youth ministry. And so I didn't know where God was going to call me and how he was going to do that because I come from a very musical family. And so I've been writing songs since I was a teenager. And I was like, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this because I feel called to do youth ministry, but I also feel called to do music and God knew. So yeah. So again, take me on a great adventure. I've been able to travel around the country and the world and um, have two albums out and share music that's sung, you know, in churches. Yeah. And then since having children, the traveling has lessened or I've made sure to lessen it because it's just nuts. And it's funny because a lot of my songwriting has dwindled because most of my songs would come from silence. And when you have children, you don't have a lot of that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And that's, that's so that, and that's the theme of this week. So we started out talking about, um, and, and you guys kind of parallel this in the book. Uh, the first week we talked about seeking, um, just kind of what it means to seek, seeking the desires of our hearts, understanding our identity. Last week, we kind of hit on uh, search and discern, like what discernment actually looks like. Uh, and then this week we're talking about silence. And Bobby actually, like when we were going through, I said, you know, who do you who do you think we should have as guests on all these different episodes? And he was like, Jackie, silence, like was straight off, off the hip. Why do you think he tossed your name out so readily for this one? Because he thinks women should be submissive and silent. <laughs> Bobby, how do you respond to that? Yeah, there is no appropriate response to that. I just, uh, I, sh I shake my head and I said, never, never, honey. In the spirit of St. Joseph, I will be silent for the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> Silently behind the scenes. So um, we're going to we're gonna, gonna dive into it, but I wanted to start kind of just by having this kind of central question that we can maybe talk around. And that's if somebody said to you, like, what is your vocation? Uh, how would each of you respond to that? Jackie, if somebody said, like, what is your vocation? What's your answer to that? I mean, I would totally pull a St. Therese of Lisieux and say, my vocation is love. You know, as a teacher, I'd be like, our, you know, our main vocation is love. And then you have kind of vocation God has called you to, whether that's celibacy or married life. And so for me, that's marriage. And then I would have my call as, um, you know, my charism and that's preaching and uh, yeah, speaking, preaching and healing the body of Christ. Um, so yeah, I would, th those would kind of be my three circles of, of vocation. Awesome. Bobby, how about you? I mean, I, I would have stolen that quote if Jackie hadn't said it first. And because like that for me was the central question was what is my vocation and figuring like if if I don't get it right, I'll be miserable for my entire life and not realizing your call is to love and therein, therein lies you echo who God is and what you're made for and then the vocation will be revealed along the way instead of I have to figure what my life, what my call is, what my career is, whatever it is and then I'll be happy. It's like God is the common endpoint for us all. And so to take a breath and to to stay focused on that and the rest is going to play out. Yeah. I also was going to use that quote. Uh, <laughs> and so um, the, uh, yeah, I, I think it's so powerful. And I think so often, like we hear in our culture today, like love is love is love. And anytime somebody starts to just repeat a word ad nauseum, I just wonder if they actually uh, know what it means. And I think this kind of beautiful understanding that God gives us um, through through the words of St. Therese of just understanding like, hey, like you can be comfortable in knowing like there is clarity around what your call is. Like I have expressed to you what your call is. I have, I have laid on your heart from the very beginning, um, from before you were born, what your call is. And ultimately for all of all of humanity, 
that call is to love and not in the saccharine or kind of culturally co-opted way that we oftentimes think about it, but in the in the complete giving of self and receiving of who God is uh, version of love, like this total uh, this total gift of and receiving of the love that God has to offer us. And that's something totally different than I think a lot of people think about when they think about vocation, something that comes up in the book over and over again, as you guys talk about it, it's just kind of uh, what you mentioned, Bobby, not getting lost in just trying to answer a question, right? Not getting lost in just trying to say like, will I will I be a priest? Will I get married? Um, and, and that's one of the things that I just love about the way that you guys break this open. And it comes out really clearly in this. So what does that have to do with silence, Bobby? Why is, was that such an important element in the book? The third chapter really revolves around the question of prayer, because it's something we all know we need to do, and yet it's usually the first thing to go when life gets busy or when I'm in a, a moment of trial or difficult situation. Prayer is usually the first thing to go when, especially if we're talking about vocation, which is vocare, which is to call, which means I have to be able to hear. I have to have the ability to hear what God is trying to say to me. And so silence is key to that. And many of the saints have attested, like, silence is the language God speaks in the most. And the more awesome our technology has gotten, the more distracting it has become. And the more difficult it is to actually find time without anything pulling at my attention span. Um, we do these retreats at the school I work at, and we take the, the, the phones from the boys before they go. And some of them do it kicking and screaming. Some of it, they try to sneak it on. But one of the boys recently was telling his dad, his dad told me this. He's like, I heard God, dad. And he's like, what do you mean? And his, he's like, I, I heard him. Like, I actually heard him. Like, it was just so quiet. Like the time they gave us in recreation or in prayer, like I, I heard him. And for me, and, and this is the thing, like dad, like, um, like men are horrible at communicating these kind of things, especially like young boys. So I never hear about these fruits sometimes of the work we do. So but for, for his dad to tell me it was such a it was such a good thing to hear that of like good like this is this is why we do it and this is why we need to re-embrace silence as an important discipline in the Christian life. Yeah. I I love that. And and I just want to kind of say like we we've talked a lot about the di- the fact that discernment is not just about um, you know, your your lifelong vocation, married, religious life, um, or or a, um, you know, priestly vocation. It's not all that it is, but vocation is an important part of that. And I think in the modern era, there's such a misunderstanding about vocation. And it's because we feel all these different tensions kind of pulling at our life. And we don't, we don't have that silence. We don't have that space to sort through it. But we also don't oftentimes have the language to even understand um, what vocation is. So can you maybe, maybe Jackie, can you kind of break in a little bit maybe on what vocation kind of means? You you mentioned these kind of different areas, you know, of vocation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. And so someone once drew a diagram, like it was probably Jim Beckman or someone like at a, some kind of, you know, youth ministry retreat. And it, it just made it so clear of, again, vocation is a call. And so if our main call is to love, I mean, I know in my own story, when I really fell in love with Jesus and I had this huge conversion, I was like, okay, God, I'm willing to do anything. Like I will give up a family. I will give up anything. Like I will give up money. I will live in a cardboard box. Like whatever you want me to do, I will do anything for you to get to heaven. Like I don't care what I have to give up. So that was that first call. And I really, that was very helpful as a single person too, because I was like, all right, God, if I die right now, 
my that's like my ultimate goal is you is to be in heaven with you. So I didn't care. Well, then I cared, but like I was like, okay, I'll wait however long you want me to wait if if, if I'm called to marriage. And so like coming into that second ring of vocation, um, called to the celibate life or to the married life, I think people also don't realize that even within. So the first call is celibacy or marriage. And then within celibacy, there's a few different routes you can go because you can be a religious, um, you could be a priest, a brother, you could be a nun, you could be a, a consecrated single person. Like every vocation has to have a vow with it. So being single is not a vocation mm. unless you take a vow. So we have a few friends who have taken a vow under a bishop to be a consecrated single person. And, and then I have a friend who, one of my best friends, she is discerning uh, her vocation as a celibate, but not a religious. Um, she's It's a, called a secular institute. So she's discerning with the missionaries of Maximilian Kolbe. They can work in the world and they, they can live in community or not live in community. So again, under that first call is celibacy or marriage. And then within celibacy, you have a few different routes. And then like kind of that, the even that smaller ring of vocation is like, okay, your job, you know, how God is calling you to love in the world. And and that can really, grace builds upon nature. So God has given you natural gifts. Some people are really good um, counselors, teachers, preachers, and, and then the supernatural grace mm-hmm. will build upon that. So like, for instance, my husband is a teacher and he has a gift of teaching, but there are a lot of people who have a great gift of teaching. But the difference between a natural gift of teaching and a supernatural gift is that a supernatural gift will convert hearts and yeah. will move will move people closer to God. So there's a lot of great preachers out there, but someone who has a supernatural gift of preaching or a supernatural gift of singing, it will stir hearts and, and they will experience the beauty, truth, or goodness of God. It will lead them closer to God in one of those three things. Yeah, we always talk about the supernatural charisms always have a either evangelizing or healing dimension to them. Even if they're not just evangelically oriented or healing oriented, they always serve to multiply what we could just do as human beings. And the coolest part is when you see somebody who's operating in a charism who doesn't necessarily have the natural talent, like it's so beautiful to me to watch, you know, a teenager or even even an adult who all just continually has these amazing things that God does through some aspect of the way they're living out their faith or living out their life. And they don't have the natural skills to back it up. They just are completely dependent on God um, to let those things operate it. But like you said, grace, grace builds on nature. So I'm always a fan of people <laughs> developing those skills, but it's really beautiful when you come across somebody who has just kind of been completely dependent on that and is starting to realize, Hey, like God has gifted me um, in this way. And I think lots of times we just oftentimes excuse those things as being natural talents also too. So uh, Bobby, um, talk to me a little bit about kind of your understanding of vocation. Like what, you know, Jackie mentioned you being a teacher, these other different things. We've talked about kind of what what our different vocations are. Kind of what are some of the things that you think people oftentimes miss about the understanding of vocation? That is a awesome question that could take several hours to unpack with it because I that that's where I was in it. I was a 20-year-old feeling called to follow God on the road of, of priestly discernment and yet terrified of it. And um, feeling sometimes like the call was outside of me, something that I didn't want to do. Shouldn't my call line up with something I naturally am drawn to, excited about, whatever? But then, you know, reorienting to like, no, like the te- the challenge that God is, is calling you to is sometimes the call. It's not something that you would necessarily give yourself. And so 
again, I, I like Moses, it's like the reluctant leader, like, no, no, you got the wrong guy. Pick, the, pick that guy over there. My, or my brother speaks better. Go pick him. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the call of God is not one that makes sense. The call, again, as, as we've talked about with you, Tony, like to move totally across country and go all in in this different ministry, like to maybe outside people, it doesn't make sense. Because I, 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 I don't want to just repeat the stuff that Jackie said about like marriage and um, celibacy and all that. Because that, that's kind of like what I consider like the big V vocation, like the, right. state, the state in life you're calling me to. But then there's like, you'll hear like in the trade world, like the little V vocation of what is my craft or what, okay, what specifically, what am I drawn to? What am I, I gifted towards? What can I do? What can I offer for the kingdom of God? That could be teaching, that could be constructing, that could be administration, that could be counseling, that could be service. And, and I think the most interesting thing is, and, and this is some of the work I do with people right now is helping them do charism discernment, like helping them figure out the difference between just like, hey, this is a natural talent you have. And, um, and you know, and these are actually charisms given to you. And it's not like I sit down and at the end of an hour, like we figured it out. It's, you know, we sit down, we have some intense conversations that we kind of identify. Uh, here's here's a place you need to spend more time in prayer and reflection and actually experimenting with this charisma. This is all work that comes out of um, the Catherine Essien Institute and they're called in gifted process. The other amazing thing is you oftentimes see the way that God clusters charisms together, um, especially with some of those natural talents to give people a sense of what their vocation is. You know, not every priest operates in the same way as a priest. No, not, not any lay people that I know operate in the exact same way, even if they have similar roles or similar you know, callings, um, they all operate in different ways based on those skills and those charisms. And sitting down and kind of starting to discern some of those things out, sometimes it's easier to start with some of those things that seem a little bit less consequential. Like if you have a call to teach, that may be clearer to you than whether or not you're supposed to be married or whether you're supposed to be celibate. You know, like it's, it's okay to start with some of those things that may seem inconsequential. Um, Cause I, and I think that's one of the, the best things about that, that start like saying like, love is the big thing. And so whether I, or not I have celibacy or marriage figured out, like I can move on and start to look at some of these smaller things and let that start to refine um, my understanding of that. Uh, the, the way you guys talk about it in the book is that like your present moment isn't a waste. Like you don't need to just kind of spend the entire time um, that you're discerning sitting there doing nothing but thinking. Like silence is super important, but silence is about finding the space to kind of sort those things out. And that requires some level of engaged and lived experience. So um, when you guys talk about the present moment not being a waste, tell me a little bit more about that. It's just that, you know, sometimes we think our life doesn't start until we're in our vocation. Um, and, and I just meet so many people that they're just, they're, there's such a yearning and longing to be in vocation, which is beautiful. And that's, that's a beautiful longing. But then it's like, well, then my life is, is just, you know, it's just kind of a waste of time. Like, oh my gosh, like your, your life is, is happening now. And like, I really memento more, you could die tomorrow. I think that really helped me too. In those single years, it's like, I could die tomorrow. Like every day I need to live as if it could be my last. So if it were, what would I want to do? And, and so, um, living in the present moment for me, it's like living a a life of joy, a life of service. I think that's the hard part with our culture today is it's such a self it's a selfie culture. And it's, so it's all about the self. It's all about me. And so we're not being self-gift a lot of times. We're not mm. going out and giving of ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, we're just thinking like, woe is me. And even as you scroll through like Instagram, 
like, woe is me. Like, look at all these other people's lives are so much better. It's like, yeah, but you're not called. Like, God's not calling you to their life. He's calling you to your life. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that even I do this. Like, there are things that I am not gifted in, but I look at other people's lives I'm like, oh, I wish I were gifted in that. And it's like, God's like, are you kidding me? Like, God, I have given you gifts. Like, shut up. Like, you know, he. it's just funny. But when we're comparing ourselves constantly, we're not living in the present moment we're living in this like other reality we're living in the future we're living in the past and and so for me like living in the present moment it's just a a recognition of my life is not a waste now like how does god want to use me now to be his hands and his feet how can i serve and actually i wanted to kind of piggyback what, what you said tony about there are some things that like charisms there are some charisms that are very net like again grace built upon nature. So like teaching, but then there are some charisms that you'll never know you have unless you kind of step out like, like healing. How are you ever going to know you have a charism of healing if you don't pray with people? Mm -hmm. You can't. And that's kind of like, even in vocation sense, marriage, because marriage is the more natural thing. You won't ever know you're called to the priesthood or to the religious life. If you never step out and like go to seminary or to go to the convent and just like discern. So I'm obviously we have a chapter on that in the book as well about like, okay, obviously it's called pray decide. Like at some point you have to step out. Right. Um, But again, not wasting the present, like your life isn't just like non-existent until you get into your vocation, but that God wants to use you now. And he wants to, again, help you to be holy. And then, and then to make the world holy with you as well. Yeah. And and I always talk to people about it. And, you know, this is even before I had heard that the the circle analogy a while ago also, too. Like, I always talk to people about, you know, there's something you're being called to right now. There's something you're being called to in your life. You know, then that that's the, the marriage or celibacy element. But then you're also being called into eternity of God's love. Right. And and it's it's good as a as a teenager, as a young adult, as a, you know, a 50 or 60 year old, you know, um, full adult um, that will all be one day uh, to to be thinking about all three of those things dynamically, even if you know what your job or your charisms are, once you've discerned those, like that doesn't mean that immediate voc- like discernment process goes away. It's what is God calling me to do with those in this moment? Like how is God calling me to apply those in the next year or two years of my life in a way that really furthers his vision for my life and for the kingdom in a way that's going to bring joy to me and to my family and to my creator also too. And I think we oftentimes think like, also, if we find figure out like, hey, I'm supposed to be married or hey, I'm supposed to be a priest or hey, I'm supposed to be, you know, a, a consecrated um, single, th- then we're done. Like that that's it. You know, like we know we're supposed to be loved. We know we've answered that big question. And then we completely forget that there are things that God is continually calling us to. And I think that's that's such a huge thing. Um, now, we, we've talked a lot about community um, and the importance of being with people. Now, silence can happen in community and it does happen in community. Like there's a lot of people who are afraid of silence when you're around other people and in you know, as you guys know, having been married for for a few years now, like there's actually a beauty of being around somebody else and being able to just be silent with them about not needing to fill every moment. Um, but there's also a reality of kind of loneliness and other things that set in or that we associate with silence. Bobby, could you talk a little bit about loneliness and how that impacts silence? Sure. My wife appreciates when I'm silent, by the way. She's like, go, just stop talking. Do the dishes. That is that is not true. <laughs> I'm like, talk to me. I'm the extrovert. Talk to me. And he's like, I want to be quiet. <laughs> it's like, affirm me. <laughs> Use your words. Can I, can I just pat you on the back and 
<laughs> nope. Thanks, thanks for being with our kids all day, honey. Um, yeah, loneliness, it, it comes for us all. And I think depending on your temperament, uh, you feel it or you, you I don't want to say wallow, but you're, you're tempted to stay in that for longer periods. And I know as a melancholic, I think it hits, it's always hit me hard. And even again, you can be a, in a room full of people and feel lonely. You can mm-hmm. feel, you can be, especially if you go to a move, go to a college or move to a new town or a new career. It's like, there's all these people, but no one sees me. Like you feel alone and solitude is like the healthy of I'm alone with my thoughts or with God. Like I have purposely going on this walk in nature. Solitude is healthy. Loneliness is this again, feeling of alone. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. A guy I was in seminary with, he's now a priest in, back in Florida, a uh, great and holy guy. And he just, it was like a passing comment. I don't know if I was just having a lonely day, but he's like, you know, loneliness is just God knocking on the door of your heart, telling mm. you, telling you to spend time with him. And he just walked away. And I'm just standing there like, that's stupid. But deep down, I'm like, like crying. I'm like, but that's so beautiful. <laughs> um, because it was, it just reframed every moment of loneliness I had had in every moment sense of like, this is a moment that I can, I feel alone. I feel unseen. I feel like I'm just a cosmic orphan and adrift right now, but reframing it and like, no, 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 the God of the universe knows me. If you go back again to the first week, the first chapter, Tony, you and I talked about it, like your identity as a son or daughter of God, you are seen and known and loved. And right now, God is saying, I see you, I know you, I love you, spend time with me. Don't run to a destructive outlet, be that just mindless scrolling, be that drug abuse, be that pornography, be that anything I go to to try to distract myself or satisfy the ache, but turn to me. And this is where, again, the more we do that, the more we don't run from silence and even loneliness, like name it, see it for what it is, and then turn the energy to God. The more he's like, just wants to pour himself out and pour that grace upon it. So that again, eventually the path to identifying and knowing our charisms, knowing our gifts, knowing our vocation, it's going to just naturally unfold. And so to not run from those moments of loneliness that come no matter what your state in life. If you're single, if you're in college, if you're working, if you're married, again, the lonely moments, they still find you. Yeah. And and I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast, but maybe I haven't. Like part of my initial experience of hearing God's talking to my life at the first, like for the first time ever, like my, my experience really of the Holy Spirit speaking to me in a profound way, um, I was avoiding like solitude. Like I was running from solitude because I was afraid of being alone in front of God. Um, like I went around at this, at this, you know, 16 year old, you know, boy asked to go and sit and be silent and listen to God and just freaking out. So I went and checked on all my friends, you know, and it was like, are you listening to God? Right? Like, cause I'm the really holy one. And so like, if you need help, <laughs> let me know. And the reality was I was just terrified, terrified 
of being alone in front of God. And even in the conversation with them, as I entered into it, it was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to be alone in front of you. And I think that's okay. I think it's, it's like, I think it's necessary to come in front of God and just be like, God, I don't know how to do this. You know, God consistently comes to his people in the Old Testament, the New Testament and says like, yeah, you're right. You don't know how to do this, but I do. Right. You knew the story of like Corey Ten Boom, who was a prisoner in one of the most vicious um, camps in the in World War Two, who had to encounter one of the most uh, most hateful and spiteful, horrible guards who uh, she basically watched kill people who she loved and who had converted to Christianity. And she was giving a talk and he came up afterwards and he didn't know her. And she he had he had seen her naked and, and afraid and ashamed. And he wanted her forgiveness. You know, he wanted her forgiveness. And she talks about being overwhelmed with the reality of she couldn't, can't forgive this person. Like she can't forgive this person, but she knew that God could. And so she could only forgive him with God's love. And unless we're willing to come in front of our creator and say, God, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I need to stand in front of you and be honest about that. Um, then, then we're limiting his ability to work on our life because he respects us and he's not just going to overwhelm us in that way. And so, no, I think that's huge. And I think it's, it's huge for us to actually start to engage in that. We're going to get to some practical uh, tips in just one second, but we also want to just talk about our saint of the week. Um, I looked at a couple different saints for this week. Uh, I did look at St. Therese because I do, I love that quote. Um, and I looked at St. Joseph, um, but there's no good quotes by St. Joseph. He's asleep for most of the New Testament. He's uh, an amazing father, which I think, you know, him him sleeping all the time is obviously an example to all of us men for something we might need more. But um, I went with the the prophet Elijah for our saint of the week. And that's Elijah, not Elisha. So Elijah comes first and then uh, Elisha inherits the mantle of Elijah and becomes the primary prophet. But we talk about Elijah as, as really the main prophet of the Old Testament, even though Elisha uh, received a double portion and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit afterwards. Um, Elijah does a tons of amazing things. You can look at Kings as the primary place in scripture that you can do that. We're going to kind of look at some of the stories from chapter 18 and 19. I'm not going to hit specific quotes, but Elijah basically is at a time where the Israelites have given themselves over to the worship of Baal, um, which is this um, this foreign god that we would identify as demonic also too. Uh, there's a lot of blood lights. There are a lot of sacrifices. He challenges these over 400 prophets of Baal to basically a showdown where they're going to bring out uh, bulls and they're going to lay them out um, on these uh, and they're going to make burn offerings. So they're going to build these bonfires and they're going to call down fire from their gods. And he lets the 400 prophets go first. They uh, they they cut themselves. They tear their flesh. They call on Baal. Um, and and there's 400 of them all gathered around. And it's just just Elijah in the face of this. Like it's just Elijah trying to figure out how to navigate the situation where these are these are insane madmen who have completely co-opted the entire culture and figuring out how he's going to navigate this with God's help. And so after they're done, he kind of goads them. One of my favorite things about the story of Elijah is that he actually implements an amazing poop joke right in the middle of his challenging of the ball. And a lot of people don't know about the immense amount of poop jokes there are in the Old Testament. There's a lot. Um, in in the in the English translation, it just quotes him as saying, is your God too busy to come? Um, in the Hebrew, 
it's really, is your God too busy going to the restroom? Like, is your God too busy going to the restroom for him to be able to come and light this pillar on fire? And he has them dump water over his, his pillar till the, the kind of trough that's formed around the bonfire is soaked up. And then he calls down fire and God incinerates it and burns the stones. He, he calls on the people to have them tear the, tear the prophets of Baal apart. Elijah is not somebody to mince words. Um, and, and you would think that would cause him to carry the day to win the people's favor. Uh, but when the king finds out about it, um, he's been manipulated, he's furious. And so he starts to send people after Elisha. And Elijah is being chased. He's being tormented. His life is a wreck, even though he feels like he's in this moment of victory. This should have been a moment at which the entire tide turned. Things didn't work out the way he thought they would, even though God showed up and manifest. And so he's still on the run. And he's basically just calling to God. And he's like, I want to die. I want to die. I don't want to do this. And so God says, you know what? You're really tired. Why don't you lay down underneath that tree over there and take a nap? And so he lays down and takes a nap and he wakes up and he feels pretty good. And there's an angel there with some, basically some cakes, it says, which I'm like thinking like a nap and cake always sounds good. And so he, he takes a nap, he eats some cake and then Elijah feels way better. And so like we know parts of this story and what you're probably most familiar with is what happens next. It says that after he slept and after he woke up, he had enough strength to sustain him for 40 days as he journeyed to the Mount of Horeb. And on the Mount of Horeb, we, we see Elijah actually encounter God in a way that we're all very familiar with the story of for the most part, where there's a firestorm that comes and sweeps around the mountain and it's loud and it's uh, chaotic and that God isn't present in the firestorm. And then there's an earthquake that shakes the mountains to its core where rocks are broken apart and Elijah is fearing for his very life, but God is not in the earthquake. And then God tells him to cover his face because he's about to come by and fog descends upon the mountain and things get quiet. And in the stillness and in that quiet, God comes and he passes near Elijah. And he actually then in that moment lays out for him his vision for how he's going to restore the kingdom. It's not going to be through this direct conflict with the prophets of Baal, though he wanted them removed. And that was an important part of God's plan that it's going to be through the anointing of a new king, and it's going to be through the anointing of the next prophet that he's going to move forward. And so in that moment of silence, Elijah gains clarity unlike anything that he's ever had. And he has to go through all those things to get to that point. So my big thing and my, my big reason for, for loving the story of Elijah is not just not just as he have this beautiful moment of silence with God that clarifies things in his life, but it comes after an intense amount of torment, a complete reconfiguration of what he thought was going to be the way that God was going to work into something else. And I find that just to be such a common story in my experience. I know in Bobby's experience, I know in Jackie's experience also. So that's why Elijah is our saint of the week. We're going to be back uh, right after these messages from our sponsors over at Ascension Press to talk about our three practical takeaways for this week. So I want to thank Ascension Press especially for being one of our sponsors and partners for this year's Nazarite Challenge. Uh, remember, you can actually get a discount on the copy of the book that we are talking about, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, written by Bobby Jackie and Father Mike Schmitz. Um, you can get a discount on that by using the code NOSHAVE. Um, it's, it's, there's a link down in the show notes. But I also want to talk to you about the Great Adventure Bible. Now, when I was teaching RCIA at a parish, one of the things that a lot of the candidates I was working with, and a lot of them were people who had been going to a Catholic church for a while or who grew up Catholic and had gotten some formation, and some of them were coming into the church fresh, something they all 
struggled with was understanding the overall narrative, the kind of the sweeping big picture of scripture. And every time we went to go break this down, whether it was in RCIA, adult formation classes with people, they always struggled to see how the different parts of the Bible fit together. And that's one of the things that I love about the Great Adventure Bible and all the Great Adventure resources by Jeff Cavins and Ascension Press. I've been using them forever. And when the Great Adventure Bible came out, I was incredibly excited to just dive into it. Now, I have my Bible that I've used forever, that I'm emotionally connected to, that has the Great Adventure tabs in it. But the Great Adventure Bible took all of the things that I love about the tabs, other resources, Jeff Cavins and Dr. Mary Healy and other people at Ascension Press and what that project had done. And it took them all and it built a Bible based on the things that help Catholics engage scripture in the way that they're supposed to and, and really get the most out of the story of scripture. It teaches how everything in the Bible ties together. It gets rid of the complexity of reading the Bible without diminishing any of the deep, rich beauty of what scripture is. And it's the only Bible that incorporates all of the things um, from Jeff Capon's revolutionary Bible timeline learning system, which is like color coded for easy references, uh, detailed charts, full maps, full colors, key event callouts, and articles that help you understanding, again, that overarching story important covenants and how the other supporting books fit into each of those. In addition to the discount code for the Nazarite challenge, uh, no shave for that book from Bobby. If you're going to go ahead and get on there and get that book, I'd encourage you to check out the Great Adventure Bible and use the discount code Bible 15 for a very, very rare, like very not very oftenly given out discount of 15% and use the discount code Bible 15. So it's no shave for the discount on Bobby's book and Bible 15 for a discount on the Bible. If you don't have a good Catholic Bible, you need to have one right now. When I buy a Bible for someone, uh, my backup Bible, my secondary Bible, because sometimes I can't find my my favorite prized uh, Bible because I was traveling and it's in luggage and I, I back at home and haven't unpacked yet, is the Great Adventure Bible. And I really want to encourage you guys to go out there. And if you don't have one, because ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ and Ascension Press and Jeff Caven's Adventure Bible have made it incredibly easy for you to dive into the adventure of scripture in the adventure of your own life. All right. So every week on Bearded Virtue, we want to give you three practical ways that you can live this out. Sometimes it's a couple from me, a couple from Bobby. Whenever we have a guest, uh, we offer them to jump in also. But let's go ahead and start with uh, Bobby. Bobby, what is your practical tip this week for our listeners so the, the the chapter here is silence and so the challenge is to be silent it's not it's not rocket science like the one practical very real challenge you can put in action is 10 to 15 minutes uh, or more of purposeful silence like i am leaving my phone in another room or i'm going on a walk without my phone knowing it's gonna be 15 20 minutes where it's just me and my thoughts, and I invite God into that space. If you're able to get to a chapel, and again, put the phone away or put a timer on it, so you know, like I am not touching it for an X amount of time um, intentionally. And I'm one to bring like a stack of books with me into the chapel and do all these things. And I'd rather read about God than just actually like be with God sometimes. And and so in that silence, don't bring anything. Just bring yourself. Ask God to speak. Tony, as you said, within the story of Elijah, and to listen for the still, small voice, to not run from the quiet, the silence, but to lean into it. All right. Jackie, how about you? 
Mine would be um, just kind of silence from social media to take a day off, to take a couple days off. Or, I mean, if you really want to like maybe take only a day on. And, and I think what I love about our church and the liturgical seasons is that when it comes to fasting, to fast from social media, to have, again, a silence of instead of all these other people telling you who you are, and is to really um, take a break from that. And again, just enjoy the present moment instead of kind of what's going on with everybody else and enjoying what, enjoying what, yeah, what God's doing in your life um, now here in the present. So yeah, that would be my challenge is to, to take a day off social media. And if you can take off more, it's really refreshing. Like it's really refreshing when you do that. I I always find it refreshing. And then everyone I talked to was like, Oh, that was fantastic. Like I wasn't Mm -hmm. as anxious. I wasn't as depressed. Like I wasn't as, like I didn't compare, I didn't lust as much. I didn't, you know, whatever. I wasn't as angry. So that would be my thing is fast from social media. Awesome. And I want to build on, uh, on that by saying, I think it's really important for us to learn how to give proper attention to what's happening around us. Um, so often we allow ourselves to try to multitask, to do different things. Our screens are such a huge part of that, but I really want to challenge you to be very practical about giving your attention to one thing. So that's not, I'm listening to my children while I check my email, or I am, you know, having a conversation with my wife while I read a book. None of those things should be what's happening. And I am horrible about this, but I do know this. I know that what we give our attention to is what we start to enter into adoration of. And so if we're giving our attention to God, it's easy to enter into adoration of God. And if we give our attention to our family, it's easy to adore and love and care for our family. But also if we're doing those same things to emails or a book or a phone or other things like that, then we start to lose that focus. So I just want you to take a little bit of time, um, maybe at the beginning or the end of that silent period that Bobby talked about, and just really reflect on, have I been attentive to what was in front of me today? Um, as a question that you can ask yourself around those periods of silence. So being silent, taking a fast from social media, and then asking yourself to be more attentive to what is happening right in front of you rather than trying to multitask are our three practical takeaways this week. Um, Bobby, what are we talking about next week? I don't know, Tony. What are we doing? I'm joking. Um, (laughs) Next week will be chapter four which is uh, sorting it out. So assuming that you have been looking internally, searching your own inner discernment, gathering some data, maybe again, going and and trying out some of your, or getting more information about what's on the table and listening to what God is trying to say to you in your decision-making process through allowing silence. Next week is going to be really sorting it out. And how do I know what's authentic? How do I know what's maybe misleading, where ought I go all in? And uh, we're actually going to have another guest next week. We're going to have Dr. Andrew Swafford, who's a professor at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Awesome. I'm super excited about that conversation. I think it's going to be really good. And I have a strong feeling about that because we may have already recorded that episode. We may be, um, we may be pulling a time heist right now. We may be pulling a time heist right now. Um, so, uh, Jackie, where can people find you most easily on the internet if they want to stalk you? Uh, either Twitter or Instagram. At They're both at Jackie Francois. Francois looks like Franco is 
Um, Jackie is J-A-C-K-I-E. Yeah, so Jackie Francois, either on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, yeah. And then we have our website, JackieandBobby.com. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And Bobby, what's your what's your Instagram handle? We know that's where you live. Yeah, that's that's my happy place. I refuse to go on Twitter. Twitter's um, the dark web. Yeah, Jackie shares me stories. I'm like, no, I'm no, thank you. Like, I'm happy without it. Like, I I truly am. But Bobby Angel, um, if you want to reach out, we have the website. We also have the our videos that come up once a week on Ascension Presents. We're blessed to be able to uh, be doing that. And you can find me at Tony Vicinda on most things. I am the only Tony Vicinda in the world. That's the benefit of having a recently Americanized name uh, from a family of immigrants. Uh, there's not there's not a lot of other people out there with the same last name. Um, but at Tony Vicinda, anywhere you want to find us. Um, again, you can also drop us an email. Uh, just Tony at CatholicBomb.co. If there's Anything in these conversations we're having that's being helpful for you, if you have a question, if you have a virtue or topic you want us to dive into after we're done with this conversation about discernment, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, We know that the Nazarite Challenge is a life-changing experience for tons of men out there. We know that there are people actively and practically discerning major life changes right now, and we're so excited to accompany you through that process. Tony at CatholicBomb.co, that's .co. Um, would be love to hear from you and just love to know how God is working in your life and anything that we can do to help. I want to thank our sponsors uh, again at Ascension Press, also to uh, Catholic Balm Co., the Franciscan Friars of the Holy Spirit, who are our spiritual chaplains for this process and who we have some additional content coming out for um, every week. So pay attention to your podcast feed so you can hear stories of discernment from those men about their spiritual lives. Uh, and then, of course, our friends over at Project YM. So until next time, gentlemen, stop shaving and start praying.